This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Philippians this morning, if you would. Philippians chapter 1 is where we're going to be at. We're continuing our series entitled Magnify Jesus. If you missed the end of the message so far, you can always get caught up at our website at huikala.church. Um, you can also subscribe to our podcast. My favorite way to stay caught up is through the Huikala app. Uh, we actually have an app in the app store you can download to your device. Uh, on that, you can actually um, take notes on that for today's message. If you want to do that, you can actually click on the button. It says podcast. Click on today's message, and there's a button that says fill in notes. That'll open up a web browser for you. You can type in your notes and then email them to yourself when you're done. Or there's also an option to download a PDF to your device if you want to do it that way. Or if you just want to bring a journal and jot down some thoughts as you go, that would be awesome as well. The main thing is we forget really quickly the things that God speaks to us about. And so it's always good to have uh, some way to reference back and uh, take a look at that uh, if you would. So uh, as we're taking a look at the book of Philippians, just by way of review, The church of Philippi was a church that was started by Paul. You can read all about it in the book of Acts. Incredible story. Uh, The church of Philippi was the first European church that Paul had ever planted. Uh, Most of his work on his first missionary journey was done in the Middle East area. Then he uh, traveled to Greece uh, and planted a church in the church of Philippi. Uh, Really exciting stuff there. Pastored that church for a bit, moved on. Uh, Ten years later or so, he finds himself in prison, and he writes a letter back to this church. But a decade has not caused Paul to forget what they meant to him, how they made him feel, his heart that he has towards them. And so he writes what we sometimes refer to as just a letter of joy. No sharp condemnation here, no Paul telling them to get their act together, no uh, correction from false teaching, just a lot of love, a lot of appreciation, a lot of talk about their partnership together in the gospel. And so that's where we find ourselves. We're just going to walk through this verse by verse every single week. Uh, And so just because it's one verse doesn't mean that it's one week. Uh, We're going to take a look at verse number six today. We took a look at verse 6 last week. We'll take a look at verse 6 again next week. So three weeks we squeeze out of this, uh, this one verse here. But it's so powerful, uh, the, the story that it tells for us. And so uh, thanks for being here today. Uh, I'm excited about what God's word has to say for us. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse number 1, read through verse number 6. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always and every prayer of mine for you, all making joy with requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If you missed out on last week, last week was just kind of delaying the foundation for this week. We took a look at how we can now know for sure that salvation is certain. When Paul says, he which begun a good work in you, that phrase begun in is only used one other time in scripture and it speaks of salvation. And so the work that Paul's talking about here is not God wanting to fulfill your dreams for you or God wanting to make your life easy for you. That's not the work that he started in you. It's speaking of the work that he begun at the moment that he saved you and is bringing you on a lifelong journey together with Jesus. That's what he's speaking of here, and so that's really what we'll be talking about here uh, over the course of three weeks. We took a look at it last week, this week, and then the following week. Uh, Next week, we'll wrap up this one verse here uh, as well. 
But as we look at this, and he says, he which begun a good work in you, it always begins with salvation. Here's the fact of the matter. You and I were born into this world at odds with God. We were born sinners. You and I had broken God's law from the time that we were born up until the time of today. Sin isn't something that we did one time when we were in college or something we did a few months ago that we're really sad for. Sin is part of our DNA. It's part of who we are, born into this fallen world. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that we've received from our father Adam our sin nature. And when Adam sinned, the Bible says death has passed upon all men for all men have sinned. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse number 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I've broken God's law. You've broken God's law. The Bible says that there's none righteous, no, not one, that every single one of us have sinned against the holy God and stand in danger of the consequences of that. The Bible tells us very clearly what those consequences are. Sometimes people say, well, you can't judge me in what I do. Only God can judge me. You're absolutely right. I don't have the right to judge anyone. I'm a sinner as much as anyone else but God's word judges everyone. God has told us in his word the criteria in which he will judge by. God expects righteousness from us and we are unrighteous people. God expects complete and total obedience and every single one of us have rebelled and disobeyed against God, every single one of us. And so the Bible says there's consequences for that. Just like you and I might break the law here, maybe by speeding or parking in an area we're not supposed to, we will receive consequences for that. By the same token, our sin against God has consequences associated with that. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Not just a physical death, we'll all die one day, but the Bible says coming after that is a spiritual death, an eternal separation from God in a place called hell. That's what we deserve. The idea that bad people go to hell is just a, not a, a true statement because all of us are sinners. All of us have sinned against God and all of us are deserving of God's wrath, danger, and judgment. All of us deserve to go to hell. I'm not a good person who deserves to go to heaven. I'm a sinner who deserves God's punishment. That's what the Bible says. But God is a loving God. God is a merciful God. God is a just God. And because God is just, just sweep all of your sin under the rug and act like it didn't happen. He can't just let you off the hook because God is just. What type of justice system would we have that everyone that came before the judge, the judge says, I know that you're guilty, but I'm just gonna act like this never happened. Go on and make sure that it doesn't happen again. That wouldn't be justice at all. God says someone has to pay for your sin. Here's the good news. Jesus Christ came to pay that price for you. The Bible says in Romans chapter five, verse number eight, but God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died in my place. Jesus said, I'm willing to take his punishment. I'm willing to pay the price for his sin. So Jesus came, he lived a perfectly sinless life. He never sinned one single solitary time so that he could go to the cross and, and lay down his life, shed his blood to pay for my sins and he would be the perfect sacrifice for the sins of mankind, the Bible says. And all those who would be willing to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, the Bible says, can be saved. For you, there must be a time, a date, a place in your life where you recognize your sinful condition. You recognize that you could not make it to heaven on your own, that you were not good enough, you were not smart enough, you could not earn your way to heaven, but you realize there was only one way, and his name was Jesus. 
I was a nine-year-old boy when I put my faith and trust in Jesus. Again, I hadn't com committed any major, massive, awful, terrible sin at that point at nine years old, but I recognized I've sinned against the Holy God and there are consequences for that. As a nine-year-old boy, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and I was saved. There must be a time, a date, a place for you where you've been saved. Jesus says in John chapter three to a man by the name of Nicodemus, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Just like there was a time, a date, a place where I was physically born, there was a time, a date, a place where I was born again spiritually. You need that in your life. You have to have it. Because Jesus says without that, you can't make it to heaven. The Bible says that if we believe in our heart, Romans chapter 10, and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, if you're willing to say, I believe that I'm a sinner, I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, I believe that I can't make it to heaven on my own, I'm asking God to forgive me of my sin, the Bible says he will save you. And from that moment, you're saved, not just for the day, not just for the week, not just for the month, but you're saved for eternity. Has there been a time in your life where you were saved? Do you know for sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you've been born again? If not, make today that day for you. Let today be the day that you were born again and you know for sure your, your sins are forgiven heaven is your home. All of us must be saved to go to heaven. And sometimes people think to themselves, well, the day I got, well, I got born again, the day that I got saved, it was all over at that point. It was, it was taken care of, my sins forgiven, heaven's my home, my ticket to heaven got punched, and everything was over at that point. Whew, that's over with. My wife has given birth to four of the most gorgeous kids you've ever seen in your entire life. Never did we stand in a hospital room after having given birth and hold that baby and go, whew, I'm glad this whole parenting thing's over now. You say, oh, no, 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 it's just getting started now. By the same token, the day that you are born again, the Bible says as babes in Christ, it's not over, it's just the beginning. And God says, he which hath begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Oh, no, no. If, if you've been saved, friend, that was just the beginning. It's a process now that you get to walk through with Jesus for the rest of your life. We took a look at last week how justification is our legal standing before God. It's a matter of guilt versus innocence. Justification is the term that refers to the divine act whereby God makes humans who are sinful and guilty and therefore worthy of condemnation acceptable for God who is holy and righteous. If you remember us talking about this this last week, we referred to justification as the beautiful exchange. It was God taking my sin and putting it upon Jesus and the righteousness of Jesus being placed upon me. And when Jesus received my sin upon him, the Bible says, he who knows, knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that when my sin was put upon Jesus, God looked at Jesus and said, now you'll be punished for this. And Jesus was, he was punished. He suffered, he bled, he died upon that old rugged cross. And he did it because of his love for me. And he did it because of, it was the only way to pay for my sin. And that justification, when I confess my sin before God and he placed the robe of righteousness of Jesus Christ upon me, that's where everything changed. As a nine-year-old boy, I didn't understand what that meant. I just knew that Jesus was my savior. He was the only way to heaven. I cried out in a nine-year-old boy's faith, asking God to save me, and he gloriously saved me that day. 
But friend, it wouldn't be until I was probably in my early 20s where I realized that it's a journey with Jesus. It's not a one-time religious experience where I get to just go on with my life. No, it's a journey day by day with Jesus now for the rest of my life. And now that work that Jesus started in me as a nine-year-old boy now is continuing on, and it will continue on until the day that I get to see Jesus face-to-face. It's a journey with Jesus. And friend, if you're here today and, you, and you, you might not have ever even started your journey with Jesus, what a great day to start. Today, put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Confess your sin before him and know for sure that your, heaven is your home. Be adopted into the family of God. Become a child of God. Have a fresh beginning today. God's offering that to you. But you see, Today we're talking about not the justification. We took a look at that last week, the day that you were saved. Now we're talking about the sanctification. We talk about the word sanctified. The word sanctified comes from the Latin word sanctus, which is where we get our word sacred from. It means to be set apart. Sanctified, when we think of being sanctified, we think of being set apart. Think of it this way. You were lost in your sin. You were lost in this world. God came and plucked you out of your sinful condition, and he set you over here apart for his own purpose, for his own use. That's what it means to be sanctified. The uh, New Hampshire Baptist Confession of 1833 has a really good definition of sanctification. I came across this several years ago, and this is probably a good place to pause here for just a second and tell you, I've never read the rest of the confession. I don't know what it says. As a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, we don't put a lot of thought or uh, time, effort, or energy into to creeds or confessions of faith or anything like that. We put a lot of emphasis on the Bible, God's Word. And I don't know what the rest of this confession says. I just know it's got a really good definition of sanctification, and I like that. But I couldn't rattle off any creed off the top of my head. I couldn't name you any confession of faith of this particular group on this particular date or anything like that. But I can tell you a lot of Bible. And again, at the end of the day, we let the Bible speak for us. And so this is just kind of a good aside to say, I don't know what the rest of this confession says. If, if it's from the Bible, it's good. But I like this definition of sanctification. It says, we believe that sanctification is the process by which, according to the will of God, we're made partakers of his holiness. That is a progressive work that has begun in regeneration, the day that you got saved. And it's carried on in the hearts of believers by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, the sealer and comforter, And the continual use of the appointed means, especially the word of God, self-examination, self-denial, watchfulness, and prayer. I think that's a good definition. Sanctified means set apart, but if you really want to boil it down, sanctified means living like Jesus. That's it. Just being like Jesus. Now, if you're like me and you look at who Jesus is and you look at who you are, you realize there's a lot of growth that's going to be necessary to reach Christ's likeness. Good, that's the process by which we call sanctification. If you were to read any types of theological literature, even if you were to read God's word and and parse it out for yourself, you'll realize that sanctification really kind of, um, one is really easy and one is really difficult. And if we're talking of sanctification, first and foremost, we can talk about positional sanctification. That, That takes place the moment that you're saved. We talk about positional sanctification of God taking you from your sinful condition, taking you from this world, plucking you out of that, and making you his own. 
You were once part of the enemies of God. You were once part of the, the world's family. God plucked you out of that the day that you got saved and he set you apart for himself. That's positional sanctification. It took place the second that you put your faith in Jesus. And let me tell you, that was really, really easy. You confess your sin before God. You repent of it. You accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're adopted into the family of God. You pass from death into life. You're given eternal life. You're now saved from God's wrath, saved from God's condemnation. The old you died that day. The new you started that day. And now you're taken out of your sin. You're taken out of the slave market of sin. You're taken out of this world and you're set apart for God's use. That happened the moment that you got saved. But that's not the hard part of sanctification. The other type of sanctification we talk about is practical sanctification. That takes time. Practical sanctification is a lifelong process of becoming like Jesus. Now we're talking about living this out day by day. It's like when we talk about justification, the day that you got saved, you were declared righteous before God, but now you still have to live righteously day by day. So our standing is the day that you got saved, you're automatically sanctified. You're automatically set apart for God's use. But you gotta live it out every day now. Now this is the growth process that we have to go through of being like Jesus day by day. This is a progressive process. It doesn't happen automatically all at once. It takes time. <laughs> I remember as a, a kid, um, my parents were going away for the weekend and my friends from, uh, from church wanted to go four-wheeling. And I asked my parents, hey, I know you guys are gonna be out of town. Can I ride four-wheelers with my friends? And she said, my mom said, no. My, my parents were very strict, first of all, but I'd had an accident as a, a fifth grader. I was riding a four-wheeler that belonged to my uncle in our, our backfield. And uh, I ran into a barbed wire fence. It hit me on the neck right here. I had, had to have 25 stitches. Um, I was probably, I don't know, five, 600 yards away from my dad's shop. And so I hit this barbed wire fence. I'm covered in blood. The, the four-wheeler rolls over the top of me. I can barely breathe. And I'm stumbling, bleeding like crazy in my dad's shop. And, and they take me to the emergency room. They said, it had it been another quarter inch over, cut an artery, I would blood out before I made it to the hospital. And so my parents were very apprehensive. And they said, never again will you ever ride a four-wheeler ever again for the rest of your life, ever. Okay, but my friends want to go. My parents are going to be out of town. Can I go? Mom says, no. I say, okay, fine. And so I'm smarter than my parents. And so I thought, I'll go. I'll have fun. Nobody's going to get hurt. It'll be fine. And so I go and we have fun. We have a blast. I get home and I'm covered head to toe in mud. And I think to myself, I got to wash these clothes before my parents get home. So I've never done laundry before in my life. And so you got to read the directions, right? So I turn it on the back. I look at what the, the thing says. And, you know, and it, I think it was scoops. And so... I thought if you do one scoop for laundry, like this is like super muddy, so I need like 12 scoops, you know? <laughs> you see where this is going, don't you? And you look at the thing on there, there's like normal, and then there's like heavy soil. Heavy soil, yeah, let's put that. And so you throw everything in there and hit start. Stand back and watch. And it's just like in the movies where the suds start coming out this side and everything, like, oh no! It's so like trying to scoop the suds up as they come out and throw and I'm watching it and watching it. I don't know, it's been like five, 10 minutes or so. And so I pull the top open, 
muddy, nasty, filthy water in there. And I'm thinking like, oh, this is really bad. And I pull my clothes up and I look and I go, oh man. And so I take it over to the sink and I'm rinsing it out in the sink. And then I throw it in the dryer and I think that's as good as it's going to get, I guess. And so then I go back and it's like, what do you do with all this muddy water? I mean, like it's not going down. And so, oh, my dad has a shop vac, right? I'll shop vac it all out. And so I got the shop vac in there and there's muddy water coming out. And I was like, this is, something's not right. This is not right. And so I call my friend's mom and I said, hey, I'm, I'm trying to wash my clothes. I made a mess of everything. How do you get the water to go down out of the washing machine? And she was like, is it blocked? I go, I don't know. I said, but like, I can't get the water out. How do you make the water go? Is there a button you push on the washing machine to make the water go out? And she goes, what are you trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to wash my clothes. I think they're pretty much clean, but I can't get the water out. And she said, did you, did you like just lift up the lid and pull your clothes out? Yeah. She says, you can't do that. Well, what are you supposed to do? And she says, you've got to let it run through every single cycle. What are you talking about? There's a pre-rinse cycle. There's a wash cycle. After that, there's a rinse cycle. And there's a spin cycle. And if it's on a heavy soil, there's probably another rinse cycle and then another spin cycle after that. And I go, well, how do I just like get to the last cycle? Is there a button to push to go to the last cycle that's like empty all the water out? And she said, no, you got to let it run through every cycle. Do you see where I'm going with this in regards to the Christian life? Sometimes we want to get to the end result, but we don't want to go through the cycles. You got to let it run through every cycle. Sanctification is not a button that we push to automatically skip to the end stage. It's a cycle. It's a process that we have to walk through together. As we look at what God's word says about being like Jesus, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 18, but we all open face beholding as a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even the spirit of the Lord. Here's what it says that talking about beholding in a glass means looking in the mirror. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. When you look in the mirror, you should see the glory of the Lord in your life. What? <laughs> yeah. When you look in the mirror, you should be able to see the glory of God at your life. You should be able to step back at your life and see God at work in your life. Do you see that? If not, sanctification isn't working the way that it's supposed to. But it's not supposed to be all at once. You don't just look in the mirror one day and go, wow, I think I'm living like Jesus. No, it's a process. And that's why it says from glory to glory will be changed. Next week, we'll take a look at glorification, the day we're made perfect, the day that we're made like Jesus without sin. That's gonna be awesome. We're not there yet, though. In the meantime, we have this process that we're going through that we're being changed into the image of Christ. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter uh, 1, verse number 15, but he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. You see, we serve a holy God, so you and I are supposed to be holy in the way that we live our lives. And when Peter says in every manner of conversation, it means in every area of your life, you should be like Jesus. You see, uh, I grew up thinking to myself that you were like Jesus on Sundays because that's what I saw with the people in my church. My friends that I went to church with were holy on Sunday, but they were unholy Monday through Saturday. Some of the men that were in our church, I would see that they would be holy, they'd be doing the right thing on Sunday, but they wouldn't be doing the right thing during the week. And God's not interested in that type of Christianity. That's fake Christianity. God says be holy in every manner of conversation. I made a commitment when God was calling us to start Hui Kala that 
the man that you see on Sunday morning, I want to be the same man that sits down with my family on Monday night for dinner. I want to be the same guy that's Tuesday morning at the gym. I want to be the same guy that's Wednesday afternoon standing in line at Long's. Same guy, consistent. You know why? Because God says to be holy in every manner of conversation. Every area of your life you need to be holy. We think we can be holy maybe at, at church, but maybe not at work. It doesn't work that way. Oh, I'll be holy uh, around my Christian friends, but unholy around my non-Christian friends. It doesn't work that way. Have you even seen Christians who do a really good show externally, maybe even have a good testimony at work? But man, you give that person a social media account, and they're a totally different person. The things that they say online, they never say to another human being in fa- face-to-face. Sometimes the language that they use, not becoming of a Christian. In every area of your life, this holiness thing comes through. And again, nobody's expecting perfection from you. God doesn't expect perfection. God expects progress, though, because sanctification is progressive. Romans chapter 6, verse number 13 says, Neither yield yourselves as, men, as instruments to unrighteousness, but rather to righteousness. If given the choice, you should choose to do the right thing, to follow after God. This is a process that we go through of being more and more like Jesus. Sanctification is about growth in righteousness, holiness, and Christ-likeness. The day that you got saved, God began a work of changing you into being like Jesus. If you're like anybody else, there's certain periods of your life where you see great growth. There's other periods of your life where you see yourself lacking. That's just life. That's just growth. But God began a work. He wants to continue that work until the day that you see him face to face. And it's growth in righteousness, which is just doing the right thing. It's holiness, being separate from sin. And it's Christ-likeness. The word righteousness sometimes gets a bad rap because we think of self-righteousness. We're not talking about that. We're talking about living right according to the Bible. That's what we mean when we talk about righteousness. When we're talking about holiness, again, holiness is sometimes a word that gets a bad rap, but holy just means separate from sin. If sin is over here, holiness is on the opposite side of the room. Sometimes it's funny, we as Christians sometimes want to make what the Bible says provision for our flesh. I like my sin, I know that it's wrong, so how close can I get to my sin without crossing the line? How comfortable can I be with sin without it actually crossing into sin? Holiness is, no, no, no. My sin disgusts me. That's repulsive to me. I hate that. I need to be far, far, far from this. Not how close can I get without getting in too much trouble. It's funny, sometimes dating couples will uh, sometimes ask me for pastoral advice. Let me just tell you this. Please don't ever ask for advice if you don't want it. Because sometimes people get mad at me for the advice that I give. Well, pastor, you know, how physical can we be without crossing the line into sinfulness? You're asking the wrong question. How close can I get to the line without crossing it? No, no, no. And I always give them the same answer. Paul says this, when he talks about marital intimacy, it's good for a man to not touch a woman. Start there. (gasps) Are you saying that, I'm just saying what the Bible says. Well, that's just not practical. You didn't ask me for practical advice, you asked me for biblical advice. 
And I know this, if the Holy Spirit's at work in you, he can keep you sexually pure until the day that you're married. He can do that. And I don't know this, the process of sanctification means if you've blown it, God gives you another chance to make it right today. That's what I know. And so the question is, how close can I get to my sin without crossing the line? The question is, how far can I be from my sin? Because the farther that I am from sin, the closer that I am to Jesus. Now, I want to throw a word of caution in here that sometimes people make how far they are away from sin the goal. Yeah. Good for you that you don't watch any R-rated TV shows or R-rated movies in your house. We don't even have a TV in our house. How about that? Okay. That's good for you. That's not how I live. Well, I'm glad that you're able to partake in things like that, but I don't, you know. Okay, that's good for you. The goal isn't how far you get. The goal isn't like how extreme you can be. The goal is Jesus Christ. The goal is the glory of God. The goal isn't that you'd set up so many boundaries in your life that your, your boundaries are bigger than mine. The goal is that we would walk in holiness and righteousness. That's the goal. So again, when we're talking about holiness, it means separate from sin. When we talk about Christ-likeness, it's just living like Jesus. This past week for me, my own personal study, I just studied a lot of the life of Jesus and the way that he treated people and the way he interacted with people and the way that he led people, just for me to help me. And I want to be like Jesus. I see character traits in him that I want for myself and the way that he treated people or the way that he talked with people. Jesus had discernment. We talked about this in our men's conference, but Jesus had enough discernment when to sit down and have a soft conversation with a woman who had maybe been caught in adultery or a woman who felt unwanted or unloved who was living with a man that wasn't her husband. He sat down and had a conversation with him. But he also had enough discernment to flip over tables to tell people that they were whitewashed tombed with dead men's bones inside. He had discernment. I want to have discernment. I want to know when to be able to flip over a table. I want to know when to be able to sit down and have a soft conversation. And let me just tell you, me and my flesh, I love flipping over tables. <laughs> love it. That's not what Jesus did. I want to be like Jesus. And this process of being like Jesus, it's sanctification. It's a growth process. And so it's a journey that we go through. Second Peter chapter number three, Peter says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to know Jesus so that you can be more like Jesus. I want you to grow in grace. Our uh, daughter Tallulah, she's, uh, she turns three this October. I can't believe that. This year's flown by. Tallulah was... And we prayed and prayed and prayed for seven years and God finally gave her to us and holding her in that hospital, it was amazing holding her and seeing her grow up over these last several years has been awesome. And somewhere around like a year and a half or so, they begin to become aware of everything that's going on to the best that they can. And they're super sweet. They love you and they want to cuddle and they want to kiss you. And they tell you that they love you. And it's just this beautiful, beautiful face. And with all four of our kids, Angela and I have said, I wish we could give our kids a pill and just keep them here forever, right? Just at this age, because it's so sweet, 
They're so lovable. They're so innocent. And then they hit like two, and you think to yourself, like, if there was a fast forward button on this to like get to like seven, that would be awesome, like right now. But this is miserable. But can you imagine us holding? Hey, this is my son Thatcher. Look at him. Isn't he cute? He's 26. You'd be like, whoa. <laughs> That's creepy. And he says, What's up, guys? How's it going? Whoa. Something's not right, right? You know why? Here, let me help you with this. Healthy things grow. Healthy things grow. Our son Vanderlei, he's 18. He started college this week. I can't believe it. I still remember. His uh, pediatrician's name was Dr. Ogawa. IAM Medical Center there across from the bowling alley. We took him in for his well baby appointments. He was like a week old. We took him in there. Doctor opens up the door. He's like, whoa, this is a big kid. And they begin to, to do what they do at well baby appointments, right? They, they tape their head to find out the circumference of their head. They tape their torso, see how long they are. They, they weigh them to see how big they are, how much they weigh. And they got all these markers and they got all these charts. And they chart your child and all the other kids throughout you know, the United States and find out where they hit on the charts. Vanderlei, height off the chart, 100th percentile. Weight off the chart, 100th percentile. Head circumference off the chart, 100th percentile. And no lie, at like his six month appointment, off the charts. It took him to like three before he even came into like the 98th percentile. Like, we didn't worry that he was like not eating, not healthy, you know? Like, dude, this kid is healthy, right? Had we had a kid who was on the bottom percentile, doesn't even make it on the chart, we would be panicked. Oh, he's in the, the lowest 10th percentile. That's troublesome. What do we do? How do we get them up? You know why? Because healthy things grow. Here's the worst part about many Christians. They get their ticket punched to heaven, and they're content to be at the zero percentile off the chart. They don't care to grow. Hmm. I'm going to heaven, that's all I care about. And here's the thing. The percentile chart is not you against the person sitting next to you or you the person in front of you or you against me. The percentile chart is you against Jesus Christ. And friend, you will forever fall short on that, that chart. But here's the goal. You should see over the years progress. Slow, steady progress to Christ-likeness. That's the idea here. Healthy things grow. And it's not about because we're sanctified, we're called out of this world. But we're not isolated from this world. We're not supposed to go get 100 acres in a commune somewhere and all just start a new life out there and we'll find somebody in our big group that can homeschool our kids and find somebody who's good at cooking and other guys who are gonna stand security for us. You know what that's called? It's called a cult. It's not good. You take a look at any group of Christians in the last 200 years that have decided to mark off their own place to be isolated from the world, it has always ended badly. Regardless of their intentions, it's always ended badly. You know why? Because God never intended for Christians to be separated from the world or to live separate lives or to be distinct. We've been called out. Jesus says that we're not part of the world just the same way that he's not part of the world. We're different. We're sanctified. We're set apart. We need to live like it. So the goal isn't that we put together a Christian basketball league and play other Bible-believing Baptist churches in basketball every week. 
And you know what I'd love? I'd love for a, a group of guys in our church to get to join a basketball league out in town and we would be the group of Christian guys that goes to church to pray before every game. And we'd be different and change that community that we're part of. Man, we're not gonna put together a sewing circle for Christian ladies. We want our Christian ladies to go out and find a sewing circle out in town somewhere and make a difference there. We're not gonna put together a group for all the homeschool families in our church. While that might be helpful, it's good for them to network, but we're gonna find homeschool communities outside in our community that we can be involved in to get people to Jesus Christ. We're not to be isolated, we're to be insulated is the idea. The gym that I go to, I don't go to a Christian gym. I guess you could probably find a group where a bunch of Christians work out together. I wanna be at a gym full of sinners that I can see every single day so that they can see a real Christian the way that he lives his life so that I can make a difference. Many of you might think that it's really, it must be nice to be able to work at a church and not have to to work around unsafe people. I, I miss working around unsafe people, if I can say that. You know why? Because I don't have the opportunity to influence the way that you do. I don't have the opportunity to let my light shine the way that you do. I have to go places like a gym to find a way to let my light shine. And so you've been given a golden opportunity to not be a part of this world, but be separate from this world. It's important to understand though that sanctification is not of our own works. This is not about trying hard, doing better, trying to establish new habits. It's not about your own works. There's a man in our, um, Angela, I had the opportunity to serve at, I believe one of America's great churches, Lancaster Baptist Church. Um, pray for them there in California this week. They're having uh, four ser- uh, three services today, um, Wednesday night service. They're uh, defying California orders to be able to gather together and worship. Um, it's tough in California right now. But they're doing it, and I appreciate that. Angela had the opportunity to serve on that church staff for a decade. And while it's one of the great churches in America, I believe that who he calls is the best church since the book of Acts, and there's nowhere in the world I'd rather be. It's a great church, though. We had the opportunity to serve on staff there, and we had, we're leading a single adults uh, uh, Sunday school class on Sunday morning. There's a young man that came to our church that he'd grown up in church, but he got away from the Lord uh, in his life. And, you know, this church was uh, very, uh, I would say a lot more formal than we are. Most of the guys who wear jackets and ties on Sunday mornings and stuff like that, a little bit more formal than, than we would be just by, na- by nature. And he comes and he stuck out like a sore thumb because he had longer hair and he had a ball cap on and, uh, you know, he wore a, a black T-shirt and jeans. Nothing wrong with that at all in the world. It was just different than what everybody else wore. So he came to our class and afterwards I, I sat down and went through the gospel with him and talked through uh, his faith and, and he reaffirmed the fact that he was a follower of Christ, just hadn't been living for him. And so uh, he was saved, but wasn't living the sanctified life, rather. And so I said, man, here's what you need to do this week. Get right with God, confess all your sin that you know before him, be in God's word. So he texted me that week, he says, hey, I'm sitting down to read my Bible, where do I start? Man, book of John. Find out who Jesus is, why he came. It's a great place to start. Text me like by like Thursday. Hey, I finished John, where do I go next? Man, Read the book of Romans. You'll find out why Jesus came and all the implications that has for you and your salvation. I saw him on Sunday. Man, he was so excited. He had the biggest King James Bible you've ever seen in your life. I think he went to the Christian bookstore and bought one of those family Bibles that you like put on the coffee table. Bought him a, a fresh new sports jacket at Men's Warehouse. He didn't know that that tag on the outside on the, the sleeve, you're supposed to cut that off. He left it on. Wearing a tie, got a fresh haircut brand new pair of like wingtip shoes. And I walked up to him and I go, dude, what are you doing? 
What do you mean? So what do you mean? This is not you. And he goes, oh, I'm, I'm following Jesus now. Oh, no, 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 no. Following Jesus is in a change of wardrobe and getting a haircut. Following Jesus takes place here first. It's very easy to change the outside. You can fake a lot of people with the outside. There's been people before who have come to our church dressed to the nines. Oh, praise the Lord. We're so thankful to worship God together with this holy gathering of believers this morning. Come to find out they're not even saved. It's really easy to fake people out with your words. A lot easier to fake people out with your outside. You can't fake God with your heart. And that's where change comes from. Sanctification is a heart issue. It's not uh, an outside thing that we do. Please, please, please understand this. Sanctification is not behavior modification. Sanctification is not behavior modification. I'm a really angry person, so I've started counting to three before I speak. That's not sanctification. That's something that some psychology book told you somewhere to think about the words that you use before you say it. Count to three. That's behavior modification. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read my Bible every single morning. I'm gonna check it off my sheet because I like having stuff checked off a sheet every day. It's good that you're in God's word. If you find a system that works for you, that's fine. But just waking up and going through the habit of reading your Bible is not gonna bring about the change that you need. Now, please understand, we're talking about how the word of God works together with us. It's a good habit to start. But that's not sanctification. The people before who said, well, pastor, if you want me to stop doing this, I'll stop doing it. No, you're not gonna stop doing something because your pastor wants you. You're gonna stop doing something because God expects it of you. That's sanctification. This is not just changing because here's the problem with, with willing it so. Here's the problem with surface level outside change. When you decide to turn over a new leaf, everything's fine until the wind blows again and it turns the leaf right back over where it was before. It doesn't last. Talk about last week, you know, all the crazy diets that you've tried in your life, you know? It doesn't last because you don't really want to be healthy. You don't want to really live a healthy lifestyle. You want to do a 14-day grapefruit cleanse. Come on. I think that just makes you very well acquainted with your toilet. It bring about any lasting change in your life. You know, they never interview somebody who's at the finish line of a 5K or a marathon and say, what was your training like? I did a 14-day grapefruit cleanse. It changed my life. No, what did they do? They made a change in their life that took time. They put in the effort. They trained for weeks, months, sometimes years to get to the point where they are. But we think that if we just try harder, that it's all gonna fall into place. It does and it falls apart. Sanctification Here's the ticket for it. Sanctification uses the word of God to change my heart. Sanctification uses the word of God to change my heart. This is where lasting change comes from. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. He said that the word of God was his schoolmaster. It taught him how sinful he really was. You know, Paul said, I wouldn't have ever known lust if the Bible hadn't told me that it was wrong. I wouldn't have ever known that pride was bad if the Bible didn't tell me that it was bad. I'd never know that it was wrong for me to be selfish if the Bible didn't tell me I was selfish. So what makes us keep
keenly aware of our own shortcomings, the Word of God does. It's been said before that we need to stop examining the Bible and allow the Bible to examine us. I need to read God's Word in light of who I am. I need to see my own shortcomings. I need to see my own failures. I spent some time this week in the book of Psalms. Man, Psalms is like water to my soul. I read it this morning. David was before God and I am before God. I saw a lot of similarities. I saw the things that God did for, for David and I asked God to do the same things for me. It helped me. I want to change. I want to be a better man, but I can't do that just by trying harder. I need the word of God to change me. That's why I challenge you to be in God's word every single day. Not because I want you to know the information that's in there. I want you to find the application that's there. God's word changes lives. And let me just tell you this. You cannot grow as a Christian. It is impossible for you to grow as a Christian apart from the word of God. You can't do it. So you need the Bible. John chapter 17, verse number 16, Jesus says, they're not of this world. He's praying to the Father. He says, they, speaking of his followers, his disciples, they're not of this world the same way as I am not of this world. But here's what he says. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Set them apart by your word. And you and I will be changed by the word of God. This is why you not only need to read the Bible, you need to memorize the Bible, you need to meditate on the Bible, and you need to hear preaching from the Bible. Me as a pastor, I don't get the, the luxury of sitting and listening to preaching on Sunday. Please don't ever, ever be um, take it for granted. For me, throughout the week, I listen to, to preaching online because I need preaching from God's word. It helps me encourages me, it challenges me. And sometimes hearing preaching hurts, steps on my toes, that's what it's there for. God's word is meant to expose our deficiencies, to show our need for Jesus Christ, to show us our need for sanctification and growth. You need God's word, you need the preaching of God's word, you need to memorize it, meditate it, you need to live it. This is where change comes from. Change does not come from standing in the mirror giving yourself positive affirmations. It doesn't come from finding the words of someone else. It comes from finding the word of God. And does this mean that you can't find other helpful books out there? Hey, look, if it falls in line with God's word, I'm okay with that. It's helpful. You know what I've found is sometimes people have recommended to me self-help books that are, uh, are secular in nature. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you the truth. The majority of the, the decent ones that I've skimmed through, they all come back to biblical principles. Yeah. Change your, your, your mind. Change your thoughts that you have. You know, change your thoughts. Change your destiny. That's great. The Bible tells you that. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 8, tells you to think on the things that are good and positive, not on the things that are negative and crummy. That's not the power of positive thinking. It's the power of biblical thinking. God's word changes lives. That's why I need to latch on to it. Sanctification also requires death to self and the filling of the spirit. Now, before we jump into the death to self and filling the spirit, I want to say this, that the Holy Spirit is the change agent in your life. You say, wait, I thought you said the word of God was. Hmm. 
glad you asked. Understand this, the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian, you just need to read what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. Take some time this week, next week, whenever, read through John 14, 15, 16, and look for what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. Calls him the comforter. He says, hey guys, I'm leaving, don't sweat it. It's actually a good thing that I leave because when I leave, I'm gonna send you the comforter. And when the comforter has come, he will remind you of all the things that I have taught you and he will guide you into all truth. So, for you and I, where can we find the teachings of Jesus to be reminded of them? In the word. Where can we find the source of all truth? The word of God. So, the word of God works in conjunction with the spirit of God to bring about lasting heart change in your life. That's how that works. It's powerful because the Holy Spirit's gonna always drive you back to the word every single time. Every single time it's gonna remind you, hey, remember Jesus said this? Hey, remember this happened to Jesus? Hey, remember Jesus handled the situation this way? Hey, remember the Bible says this? Hey, remember the book of Proverbs says this? Hey, remember Psalms says this? Hey, remember when Paul said when this was happening, he's just gonna count it all joy? Do you remember that? And the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to bring to me growth, sanctification, joy, and peace. Every single time. And so you cannot grow apart from the word of God and you cannot grow apart from the yielding to the spirit of God. But that requires death to self. I remember, again, I grew up in a church where they taught a lot of Bible stories, not a lot of practical application. You know, if somebody asked me as a teenager, hey, how's your walk with God? I would say, what does that mean? I didn't know what it meant. Am I saved? Yeah, I know for sure I'm saved. I don't know what it means to walk with God. How's your relationship with the Lord? I mean, I guess, I guess it's okay. I mean, how, do, how would you even quantify that? I didn't know. And so this idea of practical sanctification was totally new to me. And then I got to be in my early 20s and Angel and I got married and we began to follow after Jesus and then began to be sponges, teach me everything, I wanna know it. And then I found that the Bible says that the day that you got saved, the old man passed away and all things are become new. And my first thought to that was, well, that stinks. Because the day that I got saved, I was a nine-year-old boy. And all of my sin died and the old Anthony King died that day? No, no, no. I need a fresh start like in my 20s, you know? Like I need a 22-year-old restart. I'm like, man, I blew it. I blew my shot at start over. I blew my shot at redemption because the old man passed away the day that I got saved. No, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that that's the beginning of the new you. And that if we sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins if we confess it and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First John chapter one. All I need to do is say, God, I realize I've blown it. I'm asking you to forgive me of that. And God says, done. Let's move on. That's why I absolutely abhor the false doctrine of penance. God forgives me, but I gotta do this thing over here to make up for it, and then maybe it'll really be off my record for a minute. No, no, no. The Bible says we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Done, move on. And sanctification means that the old me is dead. Here's the problem, though. Many people realize that the old them is dead, and they go back every now and then 
and start performing CPR on the old man for a minute, right? And let's see if we can raise this back up for just a minute. I don't want to live here anymore, but I want to experience it for a little bit. There's probably a little bit of fun that's left in the old man. Let's see if we can raise him up right quick, just for a minute. I don't want to live there, but maybe just the excitement for a minute. And the Bible says, no, that's dead. And you need to die to yourself daily. Every single day, I'm going to put me to this side and I'm going to focus on Jesus. Every single day, I'm going to recognize that I am a new creature in Christ. And I don't have to go back to a nine-year-old boy's experience to get that. I just need to confess my sin before God today and be made clean today, to be declared righteous today. I can experience that at any moment and have a fresh start. But I cannot continue to live in my live in my flesh and go through this process of sanctification. Sanctification requires death to self. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse number one, I beseech you therefore, brethren, I'm begging you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may find what is a good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Here's what he says. The Roman believers would have been very keen to the idea that the Old Testament, when you sacrificed an animal, you took it into the temple, you slit its throat, you bled it out over the altar to cover the sins. They knew that. And God's saying, hey, that sacrifice, that blood sacrifice, it's already done. Nobody has to die ever again, ever I just need you to live for me. I just need your life to be a sacrifice unto God. That every single day you offer your body as a living sacrifice. You don't need to die, I just need you to live for me. But then he goes on in verse number two and says this, be not conformed to this world. The idea of the the word that's used there to be conformed to means to be pressed into the mold of. If you ever played with Play-Doh and those Play-Doh molds that they have, man, when I, when I was a kid, you didn't have Play-Doh molds. If, if your mom wasn't looking, you'd get the cookie cutters out and cut stuff out, right? You had to clean all the Play-Doh off and put it back in. Oh, man. Uh, but the idea of pressing into the mold of, to be shaped like the world, be not conformed to this world. And let me just tell you this, the world wants to conform you to its image. And I believe that we are living in a day right now and I'm not, I'm not sensational like, like, oh my goodness, the last days are coming, you know, repent because the end is near, you know, the sky's falling. I'm not chicken little here, okay? But I want you to know that we're living in unprecedented time for Christians in America today. That the world wants so badly to press you into their mold that if you refuse, you're automatically gonna get a label across your forehead. And you don't get to choose what the label says. And nobody cares if the label's accurate or if it's true, we just know you won't go in this mold, so we're gonna give you a label. If you won't stand with us in our political ideology that we have, you're automatically gonna be labeled a bigot. You're gonna be a racist. If you say that biblical marriage is what you say it is, you're a homophobic, you're transphobic, you hate people, you're a hate monger, you're a conservative right-wing nut job who probably is gonna vote for Trump. Wait, what? No, that's who you are because you refuse to be pressed into this mold. That's the label that you have to to carry. Okay, I'm none of those things. 
I'm just a Bible-believing Christian. You want to label me as that? I'll proudly wear that, but I don't have to wear the labels that you give me. I don't. And again, we live in a society today that is very duplicitous. You know, again, I'm not getting into politics here because this is not a political issue, but if we can't say that we stand for human suffering around the world, we're only concerned about America, that makes us classists, if you want to say it that way. When we turn a blind eye to the suffering that's taking place to Jews in Israel, yet, yet while we continue to, to gripe and complain about our problems here, yet turn a blind eye to suffering in the Middle East, we're fools. When we have NBA players who want to make a big deal about racism in America, but want to, to turn a blind eye to human rights violations in China, we've got problems. When we have people who want to say hateful, ugly, vile things about our president, yet praise the leadership in China, we've got serious problems, folks. Serious problems. You know why? Because you won't be conformed into that image that the world wants to give you. We're gonna give you a script, and if you deviate from this, you're automatically something that everyone will vilify and hate. And I hate that our nation has come to this, and I prayed to God for revival in America because Jesus is the only thing that can fix it. I don't care who gets elected president, I don't care who gets a vote into to Senate. I don't care about red versus blue. I don't care about political or green parties or anything like that. I care about Jesus, and I know he's the only thing that can fix this. And the devices that, is, that we have in our nation can only be fixed by the, the true gospel. That's it. That's why I've given my life, and I want you to give your life for the sake of the gospel. I don't care who you vote for. I want you to be on Jesus' team. I would implore you as Christians that we have the right to vote for biblical values. But that's tough and even in today's society. But again, Christians aren't political, we're biblical. We haven't put a lot of stock in what the, the government tells us we can and can't do on a Sunday morning. We're gonna follow Jesus, we're gonna be safe, we're gonna follow federal guidelines. If you looked at my phone, I've told at least two dozen people in the last two weeks, stay home this Sunday, stay home for the next two weeks. Pastor, I got a tickling in my throat. I don't think it's a cough. Stay home. Watch it on live stream. Seriously. Oh, Pastor, my, my neighbor had a cousin who just got released from prison and he was in a, stay home. Two weeks, stay home. Seriously. We're doing everything we can. But again, are we going to be vilified because we sang a song this morning? I don't know. Am I willing to stand up for what's right? 100%. But I'm not going to be conformed into the image of this world. You know why? Because I've been taken out of this world and I've been set apart, sanctified. And so because of that, I'm going to be different. This church will be different. You will be different if you decide to follow after Jesus. But it requires a death to self. Here's a great thing about sanctification. Sanctification allows God to use you in a greater way. The Bible says that the Lord's eyes are seeking to and fro on the earth for someone he can show himself strong through. Paul, as he writes to Timothy, in 2 Timothy, he tells Timothy, hey, Timothy, in every house, there's vessels, silverware, china, serving utensils, serving bowls, cups, some that are made out of dirt and wood and some that are made out of silver and gold. He says, I want you to be a vessel that is meat or prepared for the master's use. If I go home today and have lunch, I might pull out of my cabinet a 
paper plate. On that paper plate, I might get two slices of bread and make myself a sandwich. <laughs> My wife bought this like 18 grain honey oat, super duper healthy bread one time. And she asked me, she was like, that's been in the cabinet for a couple of weeks. Is it bad? And I said, the better question, was it ever good? Because and she was like, well, you'll be able to tell it's hard. No, it was hard when you bought it. It was nasty, uh, you know? And so, but if it's a good day, I've got some nice fluffy bread. I'll pull out of the cabinet that big, tall, blue capped can of Skippy extra chunky peanut butter. I'm going to make myself a sandwich. If it's a really good day, I'll open the cabinet, and there'll be that golden bag in the back. It says Funyuns on it. Bring that out. Make myself a peanut butter sandwich and some Funyuns. If it's a really, really good day, there's probably some tea in the fridge. I'll make myself a big, tall glass of tea and sit down and have a king's lunch. If I invited you over for lunch today, and I said, we're going to have an awesome lunch today. I'm excited about having you as our guest. I wouldn't pull out a paper plate for you. I wouldn't make you a peanut butter sandwich because you're probably not as excited about it as I am. And like Funyuns are like next level stuff, so I probably wouldn't serve you Funyuns. I don't know what do we have? Micro burgers, get some hot dogs, or maybe throw a couple steaks on the grill or something like that. If it's a good meal, we definitely have bacon there for sure, right? But I'd treat you differently because you're an honored guest. I wouldn't give you the stuff that we use every day. I wouldn't feed you my meal that I eat every day. Special, because you're a special guest. God says this, I've got some special work that I want to do, but I need special people I can do it through. I'm not going to give my special work to run-of-the-mill Christians who aren't separate from the world. I'm not going to give my special work that I want to see accomplished to somebody who's not going to care about it. I want to use somebody who's special, someone who is unique. And sanctification allows God to use us in a greater way. Let me tell you this. God can't use you to change the world if you're just like the world. My mom was 16 years old when she got saved, and she said she heard the gospel many times before she got saved. But she didn't feel the need to get saved because all the Christian girls she knew, she lived a better moral life than they did. So she saw no value in Christianity. I think many people don't want what we have because what we have, we don't want. Think about that for a second. Many people don't want what we have because we don't want what we have. Does anybody really care to hear about how Jesus Christ is the answer for everything that troubles you when you're miserable, you hate your life, and you hate your coworkers? Does anybody really want to hear about your thoughts on righteous living when you're living in sin yourself? Does anybody want to care about your views on sexuality in America when you're living with someone in a cohabitation, sexual relationship who's not your spouse? <laughs> Wait, what? No. Does anybody want to hear about the joy of Jesus from the most loudmouth, angry, foul-mouthed gossip in the office? No. Keep it. By the same token, the church cannot change the world if the church is content to be like the world. Look, if our church is just a, a, a big, huge rock concert, we have multicolored lights and a band that we pay, did you know there are churches out there that pay musicians to come in and play for them on a Sunday morning because they want, quote, quality music? 
That's embarrassing. It's embarrassing that Christians would say that. There's a church in, in, in Atlanta that, that said that they're canceling all their services for the rest of the year. They said this last month because they couldn't provide the words of the pastor. Like I could reach to a computer screen and grab somebody by the throat I would have. But the words of the pastor, we could not provide a quality worship experience for our congregants with the restrictions that we had in place. Got it. So God's only interested in quality worship, right? If you can't provide quality, just take six months off and try again in January. What? That's the state of the, the church in America many times. It's repugnant, it's disgusting, it's filthy. And here's the thing, the world will not be changed by people with a good show. The world will not be changed by a pastor that's super funny. The world will be changed by the gospel and the word of God. And just know this, the churches who have built their church on a flashy show are really struggling in times like this because you can't have the flashy show. What's to bring people in anymore? It's not the preaching of the word of God. That never has been. I read a, a book several years ago and I try to grow as a pastor and grow as a man. I read a lot and things like that. I read a book that was written to pastors. It was talking about how pastors should keep their messages to 15 to 20 minutes because the average person's attention span won't go longer than that because you have YouTube videos that people watch. They skip from, from video to video. You have Netflix shows that people get, you know, one episode in, they decide to try something else or they get, you know, 10 minutes into something that didn't pique their interest, so try something else. And so we live in a very, uh, you know, channel flipping generation. So you got to capture people's attention and then let them go in 15 to 20 minutes. And I thought to myself, I'm not trying to capture people's attention. I'm not trying to entertain people. I'm trying to preach the word of God. And you cannot appropriately expound the riches of the word of God in 15 to 20 minutes of cute little stories. Sorry. And so Hukala has always been built on Bible preaching, Bible teaching. You need to know God's word because it'll change your life. And if the church wants to adopt the world standards of a show and a really cool communicator, we should just pack up shop and go home because we're not here to be like the world. We're here to change the world. And you don't change the world by giving them more of what they already have. So, sanctification. Taken out of the world, set apart to be used by God. Some final thoughts on sanctification, we're done. First of all, understand this growth is always difficult. It's sometimes painful. And it's hardly ever linear. <laughs> Growth is always hard. I don't care what you're trying to do. If you're trying to grow corn, you're trying to lose that last 10 pounds, you're trying to get up earlier in the morning, trying to give up coffee, I don't care what you're trying to do. Growth always is hard. That's why it's growth. Let me just tell you this, when it comes to the Christian life and sanctification, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. But it's hard. Here's the thing. It's not that we need more information. Everybody has enough information. Everybody. If it were just about having more information, everybody would have you know, six-pack abs and be millionaires and would memorize half the Bible. It was just knowing the facts. The hard part is the application of the facts that we have. Growth is always painful. And so when it's hard, don't quit. 
Allow the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to give you the strength that you need to walk day by day. It's sometimes painful. It's going to hurt. There's a time in my life where I was in the Navy as a single guy and I used to go to bars and clubs with people. I never drank alcohol. Uh, I wasn't sexually promiscuous or anything like that, but I enjoyed being out with the guys and seeing other people do stupid stuff. I thought to myself, I'm keeping guys out of trouble. I'm giving people rights home. I'm doing a righteous work here. People know I'm a Christian. This is a Christian witness uh, that I have. Being able to go to these places. Yes, I'm a Christian. That's why I don't drink. Hmm. Until I read the Bible. (laughs) You know what the Bible says? Follow not a multitude to do evil. Be not a partaker of other men's sins. That it's not only those who do those sins against God, it's those who take pleasure in those that do them. Romans chapter 1. And I realized that I was just as complicit as everybody else. And I had to stop. I had to say, hey, I don't do this anymore. I can't be a part of this anymore. I'm not a perfect Christian, but I'm trying to turn things around and I can't do this any longer. It was painful. It was hard. And you know what's funny? I lost a lot of friends like that. Air quote friends. You know why? Because they weren't really friends. I provided a service for them. And when I no longer provided the service, they were no longer friendly with me. That wasn't real friendship. It would take a long time before I ever really understood what friendship was. It was painful for me, but I knew it was necessary for the growth process. When Angela and I decided to start walking with Jesus, it was painful. There were some things we had to give up. We had to reprioritize a lot of stuff in our life, and it was painful at times and difficult, but we did it because we knew that it was what God was calling us to do. Growth is like that sometimes. And please understand, like, understand this as well. Growth is very rarely linear. I know all of us want to just grow up and to the right as Christians, but it doesn't work that way. We'll have peaks and valleys along the way, but please understand this. If there are peaks and valleys along the way, you should be trending upward. That's the idea. You're going to have setbacks. You're going to have frustrations. You're going to have disappointments. You will have failures at times, but you're trending upwards. You should be able to look back five years ago and say, praise God I'm not who I was five years ago. I've grown as a Christian. I, I absolutely detest social media. It's just not for me. Um, but I, I post stuff for our church from time to time. And sometimes when you log into Facebook, it says, hey, here's something you posted 10 years ago. Would you like to share that? And I look at that and I cringe so hard at the things that were important to me 10 years ago. And I think to myself, heavens no, I don't want to share that. I want to bury it forever. And like, I look, I'm not even that guy anymore. I don't even know who I am when I look at that. I go, that's not me. I see so much growth. I'm not the same guy that Angela married 20 plus years ago. She's not the same gal that married 20 plus years ago. We're totally different people, but in a really good way. So much growth that I look back at me 20 years ago, I don't even know that guy anymore. I'm embarrassed when I think of the things that I said and the things that I did. The things that were so important to me at that time, I look back and I'm embarrassed. You know why? Because God's brought me on a growth process of sanctification. And I'm thankful for it. But it wasn't linear. There's been setbacks along the way, but it should trend upwards. So don't get frustrated when it's hard. Don't get frustrated when we don't see the growth right away that you want. It takes time. Understand this. God's not finished with you. He's not done yet. He's still working on you. When I was a kid, we used to sing a song. We sang it a few years ago, I think, in, in a Vacation Bible School. He's still working on me. He's still working on me to make me what he ought to be, make me what I ought to be. 
It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. Oh, how loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. Think about that. It took him just six days to make everything that we see, but he's still working on you and he's been working on you for a long time and he's going to keep working on you. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. It takes time. God's not done with you yet. He's still working on you. God's not finished with your growth plan. He wants to continue to grow you. I've had people sometimes say to me before, well, pastor, I'm just not the super Christian that you are. Time out on that for a couple of reasons. First of all, I'm not the standard. Jesus is the standard. Please don't try to measure up to my level of Christianity. You'll be greatly disappointed when you get there. Follow after Jesus. He is the standard. That's the first thing. But secondly, do you know how I got to where I am today? Angela and I, 20 plus years ago, made a decision that every single time the doors were open, we would have our family in church. We made a decision, whatever God told us to do, we would do it without question, 20 plus years ago. That means we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, three times a week for 20 years. That's 150 services a week, or I'm sorry, a month? No, a year. I told you I'm bad at math. 150 services a year we went to. In 10 years, that's 1,500 services. Over 20 years, 3,000 times Angela and I have sat down in a chair with our Bibles open saying, God, speak to us through your word over 3,000 times. You don't get that kind of growth in six months. It takes time. And again, we haven't even made it yet. We're still working on it. But where we are today has taken decades of the investment of God's word and God's people in our lives. It didn't come overnight. So don't get frustrated and quit when you haven't seen the growth that you wanna see. God's not done with your growth plan yet. You gotta allow it to continue to work in your life. That's why you need to be a part of a small group on Wednesday nights. Again, we have registration this week. We're starting a brand new group this week. You can jump into it. Please come. You'll be helped by the word of God and other Christians. That's part of your growth plan that you're on. We're in a unique period of time right now. We used to have services here, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Right now, we just have Sunday morning. That's why you got to get plugged into a small group on Wednesday. You need it. Please, this is part of your growth plan. This is part of your sanctification community with other believers. You need it. you got to have it. Don't rush the growth cycle. Again, this takes time. you got to let it run its course. You know, you take a look at people who are world-class athletes, they didn't get there overnight. You take a look at somebody who has the ability of like a Tiger Woods. I don't even watch golf, but I am blown away at the skill in this guy. You know what happened? His dad, when he was like two years old, put a golf club in his hand. My son and I had the opportunity to go see uh, Jake Shimabukuro um, play. If you've never seen him play, he's a... Um, Local guy plays ukulele. Dude, just phenomenally gifted. And he said he used to hate it, but his mom made him practice like two, three, four hours a night. He said he hated it. But he's world-class musician now. Why? He put the time in. Well, I'd love to play like that, but I don't have the, the patience for it. You'll never make it then. There's a growth cycle that you have to go through, and you can't rush it. You can't skip it. You just have to allow it to work in your lives. 
one of the greatest joys for me is to, to pastor people who have been at who we call for a period of time. They've stuck through the growth cycle and you see fruit in their life. You say, yeah, that's sanctification right there. Yeah, that's growth right there. I love it because they've stuck it out. They've gone through the, the growth cycle. They've allowed God to change them. Final thought here, don't ever quit. You can't. You know why? Because he which began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Hang in there. God's not done yet. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. During the last six months, it's been very easy for some, some people to throw in the towel, and some people have. There's some people who attended their last service in March and never came back and have no intentions on coming back. They quit on their growth plan. They quit on the growth cycle. They quit on their sanctification. And let me just tell you this. Growth in the Christian life is like anything else. When you stop, your muscles begin to atrophy. Your faith that once used to be so strong doesn't carry you as far as it used to. But here's the great thing about God. When you come back to him, here's what the Bible says. Draw nigh unto God and he'll draw nigh unto you. The second you come running back to God, he comes running back to you and you can be back where you need to be with God and continue that growth process on until you see Jesus. So, I want to challenge you with this this morning. Most important thing in the world, if you don't know for sure that you're saved, would you be saved today? Would you put your faith in Jesus Christ so he can begin this good work in you? Because if you're not saved, he hasn't even started the work to finish the work yet. And God wants to do an incredible work in your life if you'll allow him. And again, I cringe at, at modern day Christianity that you know God wants to save you because he's got this beautiful plan for your life that he wants to unfold. That's true, but it's not to give you your dreams or so that you can open up your own coffee shop or uh, you know, be given over to your art. God wants to save you because he wants to make you like Jesus. That's the beautiful plan that he has for your life, to make you like Jesus. I have to give you some goofy dream that you saw in an American Express commercial. Like, he wants to begin that, but he can't start if you're not his child. Be saved today. For those of us that are children of God, I know there's an area of your life where you need to grow right now. I know that because I, I know it for myself. And if the Apostle Paul can say, I have not yet attained Christ-likeness, I think all of us can say, we're not there yet, but we need to get there. What's that area of your life where you need to grow? Maybe it's a sin you need to confess and give up to God and move on from. I don't know, but I know that there's an area you need to grow. Would you commit that to God today? And not just like, hey, I'm gonna try to be do better on this this week, God. No, God, I, I beg of you, would you help me? God, I'm gonna spend time in your word this week. Would you speak to me? Would you allow me to attain promises from your word that will help me to grow as a Christian in these areas? God, would you give me the power from your Holy Spirit to be changed day by day into the image of Jesus Christ, to be conformed not to this world, to be conformed to the image of your Son? God, would you give me the faith and courage to stand for my faith, your word, in the midst of a generation that absolutely hates your guts? I don't know what God's talking to you about today, but I know that he talks. So whatever he's spoken to you about today, would you listen and obey? I pray that our church, it's funny the word church in the Greek, ekklesia, means a called out assembly. It means there was a group of people that were in the world, but now they're taken out and put over here, called out for a specific purpose. Very much the idea of sanctification as well. The church is a sanctified, set apart group of people set about to carry out the greatest mission known to man, the message of the gospel.
We'll stand before God one day. We'll talk about that next week. And we'll stand before God and we'll give an account of the way that we were sanctified. And so I want to encourage you, make it a part of your life every day until the day you see Jesus face to face. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.